Hello. Hey guys. So this is part two of our lectures, three lectures um, on interpretation of scripture. So you might be wondering after I gave you kind of the theological guardrails about scripture, if all of this is true, if this is God's word, and if God is committed to making us or helping us understand his word, if it is sufficient and clear and authoritative, why do we even need to talk about interpretation? Isn't the basic key to interpretation just to say, pray until the spirit shows up? Well, yes, it's not less than that, certainly. But because the word of God is a communicative event between human being and holy being, because God's word is where us and the Holy Spirit in particular, Godhead, of course, inseparably come together we absolutely want to both wait on the Holy Spirit to show up and examine our own contribution as well, right? So we want to wait on God and also watch our own contribution. See, this is why our, um, this is why we use the words sometimes co-laboring and co-participating, co-operating. It's not that um, we, you know, get to do whatever we want or that we it's not that we are God by any means, but we do participate with God. And this is particularly true when it comes to the word, because like I said, the word of God is the communicative event. It's the meeting point between human being and holy being. Put another way, that sounds like a great idea. Just pray and wait. It just doesn't reflect what actually happens. If you've ever tried to interpret the word, you probably know that that's true or you intuit that that's the case. So really, um, one of the most important things, in fact, kind of in this whole idea of um, a human being and a holy being, this interaction between us, one of the most important things that we can remember to interpret the word well is that um, not only is the, interp the interpreting part of the word of God a place where human being and holy being come together, the writing of the word was also a place where human being and holy being come together. So now our theological guardrail is very emphatic that the scripture is divinely inspired. It's breathed out by God. And that's absolutely true. But we don't want to neglect the fact that God did that. He cooperated, co-labored with humans, people, just like you and me. So one critical key to scripture is to remember or to an understanding scripture is to remember that it has two authors, a divine author and a human author. And sometimes their purposes overlap and sometimes they're a little bit distinct and all point together to the overall picture of, um, of the, the true meeting, the gospel, the central centrality of God um, in, in the scripture. So let's pause. I'm assuming that you guys have written stuff, something, blogs, um, texts, maybe some papers, some of you, um, Instagram captions for sure, tweets. And then at least, you know, some of you have, or I mean, all of you have done some amount of doctrinal statements and written prayer. And maybe some of you guys have also prepared Bible studies or, um, or a sermon or something like that. What did it feel like to create those works? Did it just come to you or did you have to work at it? Did you find yourself like, did you get into a flow or was it a challenge or maybe a little bit of both? The human authors who wrote scripture, they're just like me and you. They were creators and makers and authors. 
What do you think it was like for them to write what became scripture? What was inspired? I think we have this tendency to kind of imagine it as some sort of holy possession, like exorcist style, except, you know, like the opposite. Maybe. Definitely would use the word indwelt there instead of possessed. But I'm not sure that that's exactly the, um, the right way to look at it or to think about it. If human beings or if the human authors were possessed, if you will, exorcist style by the Holy Spirit, then who we are and our unique wiring and creative processes and unique situations don't matter. We're just a vessel, an empty body that God needed to use, and we contribute nothing to the meaning. But if we're working, if God is working through our unique wiring and our unique setting and our creative processes, then we, the human authors, are more than merely available bodies. We are, um, God is communicating his meaning through us. And when it comes to the text, through human authors. So again, this is the communication point where human being and holy being meet. It's quite possible that the human authors didn't sense in any way that they were inspired by God. They were just using their gifts and God used them um, in a significant way. So um, the other thing I think that's important for us to keep in mind when we, um, when our, if our knee jerk is to kind of say, oh, well, just pray that, that, that should solve it all is we're interpreting all the time, all the time. Do you wait on the spirit to guide you when you have a conversation with a friend? Maybe, but if you're waiting to hear sort of an audible voice of the Lord, you might not have very many social conversations. Maybe in a, a situation of conflict, I hope you do. What about when you watch TV or read a novel, walk into a store, open your eyes in the morning? Do you wait on the spirit to guide you before you process all of those things? No, that would be crazy. I mean, I hope you do ask the spirit to help you process the world um, that goes around you. But my point is just simply this. We are interpreting things all the time. Our brains are quite literally in the business of interpreting. That's what they do all day long. But that, however, does not mean that they always get it right. So I'm going to see if I can share my screen here and um, if I can find the right one. Having a hard time. Oh, there we go. And you guys may have seen some of these things, but... I just want to quickly show you. I don't know if you can hear it and I don't know how it works to do a YouTube video within a YouTube video, but this is a very classic experiment. It said, count the passes of um, the basketball player or the people in white passing the basketball. Now, if I was really patient, I would let you sit through this whole experiment but I'm not. So I'm just going to point out that a gorilla just walked through there. Now, if I had really hyped it up and really asked you to count how many times the basketball passes from in the white player or the white shirt players, I'm guessing you, many of us at least would have had the same experience as um, the outcome of this very famous psychological experiment. And you might not have noticed because we have a selective attention issue. There's a lot of other pieces that go with it, but my point is simply 
though our brains are in the business of interpreting all day long, doesn't not mean we always get it right. Here is another example. So if you look at those two, and if I asked you those two rectangles, which of the smaller rectangles was darker in shade, you would probably say the one on the right. Well, actually they're exactly the same color shade. Um, it's just the immediate contrast that makes it look lighter or darker. So we do need to pause and to examine our own interpretive lenses because um, there are unconscious things that go on inside of us when we decide the, um, the meaning of the things that are around us. Now, those are, like I was showing you, those are sort of brain tricks, right? You probably have seen some of them before. I'm sure that wasn't surprising. Uh, but let me give you another example about that's a little bit more text-oriented. If we don't have the right context, even things that are true can seem terrible. Things that are terrible can seem true. Now, this example isn't something terrible, um, but it is something funny. So my daughter, Margaret, loves to listen to podcasts, and this, particularly this uh, podcast called Story Pirates, which is very silly, very popular. Um, and so they have ads in the podcast, and they don't do a ton of them, but there was like one part of the season where clearly their sponsor was Honey Nut Cheerios. And so they would always have a short little Honey Nut Cheerio ad right in the middle. But like a lot of podcasts, they would have the podcast host or a couple of the podcast hosts um, you know, do the sponsorship, but they kind of like, it wasn't like how you would hear in Kyle's Knowing Faith podcast. It was very, like, they was playful and it was fun and it kind of folded into the story a little bit. And part of the story was always um, about how starting off your day with Honey Nut Cheers would make it a really great day. And so one day, Margaret and I are driving along. We're, we are not having a great day. Full disclosure, it happens quite a bit. Today was also one of those days and nights in afternoons, just, just one of those. Uh, but this particular day we're driving somewhere, she's struggling. And all of a sudden she says to me, you know what, mom, I know why we're not having a great day. It's because we didn't eat Cheerios for breakfast. Margaret did not understand that what they were doing in the podcast was an advertisement. What you and I immediately interpret to go, oh, well, I mean, I know an advertisement is going to try to tell me things that aren't true or sell me on things, et cetera, et cetera. She didn't have that context. And so because she didn't have that context, she immediately interpreted um, that advertisement, that, that story, those truths in a particular way to be, to be more true than they were. So we are um, not the most reliable of interpreters, and yet we're interpreting all the time. At the end of the day, being a good interpreter is not the goal. Seeing God is the goal. Seeing him for who he really is. But because the word of God is a place where um, human being and holy being come together, where we are meeting with God sort of on his terms and, and trying to see him and understand him through his word, it's our job to examine our eyes and examine the lenses through which we see the world. Now, part of that, those lenses um, have nothing to do with interpreting. It's the condition of our own heart. It's our theological assumptions. Um, and a big piece of it, in addition to that, is how we approach scripture. So hopefully in Forge, we're tackling a lot of those lenses. We're not just coming at it through one particular way. But tonight, we're just going to go through it in a very self-conscious, very um, try to uh, pull back the veil on our own selves and how we approach things um, sort of way. So 
let's get back to our imagination. And let's say that we are imagining the author of Luke writing the gospel right now. I guess if I had been really on top of it, I would have included that picture that we had before of Luke painting a picture of Mary and Mary sitting there. But let's imagine that picture. Okay. So we're imagining Luke writing the, writing the gospel. Um, now it's a finished product. It's, it's written probably on a scroll, maybe in a codex, not sure, probably a scroll. I don't know. Not totally sure. Uh, what stands between us, you and me, and interpreting that gospel of Luke, for example? What are going to be, what are going to be some of the challenges for us to rightly comprehend the gospel of Luke in the same way that Margaret had challenges to rightly comprehend the Honey Nut Cheerios advertisement? What are some of the things in between us and that gospel? So let me share my screen again um, to my PowerPoint. Hopefully this works this time. Here we are. Okay. So what stands between us and being able to find meaning or certainty in a text? Sometimes there's the text. There's us. Um, sometimes the difficulty is that we're mining for nuggets. Instead of um, seeing the picture as a whole, we're just looking for something that is going to make us feel good, or we're looking for something that's going to fit in a particular theological paradigm. We're just trying to pull out nuggets. And so we take things out of context, um, whether to make ourselves feel better about maybe our emotions or about our theology or whatever. So that's one thing. The other thing that we do sometimes is we, we search for a secret key that will unlock the whole mystery. So I don't know if you've heard, you know, sometimes people will read one book about um, the idea of Paul and the gift and re reciprocal giving. And, and then everything, the whole rest of the scriptures interpreted through that particular idea. So we almost think that there's some key and maybe if we could just find it, then it would make everything make sense. So our first problem and challenge is how we come to the Bible. Sometimes it's not you, it's me. Sometimes though, it really is you. So the text itself, first and foremost, there's going to be a big problem of the language. So we don't speak Koine Greek um, or some of the other, or even further back, ancient Hebrew. Now I do read it, but even so it's a semi-dead language. We don't have the full context. No one is currently speaking Koine Greek. Ancient Greek is different than, than current common Greek. So we don't have access really to a deep familiar understanding of the language. Problem number one, two, history. Just like it's a long time ago. We don't really understand, like we're, we don't live in first century uh, Israel. We don't understand Roman oppression. We don't understand a lot of um, what's going on. Then there's the culture piece of it. Culture is so different. You know, culture can be so different between us and our parents, you know, how much more so between us and um, 2000 years ago. Science, their understanding of science was so different than our understanding of science. Sometimes it's the fact that it's poetry and poetry is always confusing. Sometimes it's the genre. They're, they're using different um, kinds of texts than what we are used to. And then also it's just plain confusing sometimes just is, just is what it is. Sometimes it's challenging in and of itself, not, not clear, but just maybe instead of confusing, I should have said challenging. So these are kind of some of the different things. And then over all of this hangs our own sin and limitations. 
I'm hoping you're really liking my clip art right now, by the way. Um, the sin and limitations is like a cloud over all of it. And so we bring our own junk to the Bible. And the other difficulty, I don't really know if you can interpret this clip art um, meaning. We need, you know, so that's a whole thing. Um, but the other issue is it is a matter of life and death. Again, don't know if that was the best way to communicate it, but um, you get my point. This is um, important. This is not simply reading, you know, an ancient letter that uh, doesn't really matter how we interpret this fact or whatnot. It impacts our life. It has instructions for how we ought to live. So it is life and death. This is what we might call, I don't know if I have a slide part for this. Nope. Um, the, these kind of two, you can see this sort of wall in between. We might call the, the two sides of the wall, um, the ancient horizon and the modern horizon of the text. And the idea is that it's very difficult to get from the ancient horizon to the modern horizon. Now, this is where we put a lot of faith in the spirit illuminating the text and that being um, a divinely inspired text, it's not going to be stuck in the past, but it does translate and come into the future. We just have to think a little bit about how we do that. Now, let's just imagine that we, um, that we could, or let me actually, let me put it, sorry. let me put the challenges in sort of a different sort of way. Challenge one is we can't go back in time. So um, we cannot go back and talk to the original author and audience um, on what they were thinking. But even if we could, it doesn't all fit in our suitcase. What does that mean? It means, have you ever tried to interpret or translate between two different languages? It's pretty challenging, um, especially if you're going to do something as complex as like tell a joke and you've got to explain all the culture and it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't translate super well. So it doesn't all fit into our suitcase. Um, and then thirdly, another aspect or problem with interpreting is that we have to rely on others, right? So um, we have to rely on others to help us with the language or the cultures, or just right now, like you're relying on me to help you navigate the path of interpretation. The difficulty with this is that humans are not infallible. And so um, they can let us down and they can be wrong. Um, they can have their own agenda. And so there is some difficulty in figuring out which of these others that we have to rely on. Um, to listen to, right? Can't go by in time. We have to rely on others. And then we bring our own ideas with us, which I kind of um, already talked about that. But, uh, you know, because the Bible is authoritative, um, sometimes we have big feelings about it saying certain things because we look to the Bible to inform our actual daily lives, but we're also broken and limited people we can have really big feelings about how to interpret it and how to apply things. So that is one particular challenge. And then lastly, the, one of the biggest challenges is this divine text. Why is that a problem? Well, it's not a problem, but it is a challenge because we can never fully understand its author. And also simultaneously, it is living and active and actively seeking to change us. As we read, we will change. We become a moving target because its whole purpose is to conform us more into its divine, the image of its divine author. So 
it being a divine text is not a problem, but it is a challenge. And it's a good reminder that when we step into interpreting the word, we have stepped onto sacred ground. These things matter. It's not something that we can take lightly. So what then is the solution? Three basic ideas. One, we read the Bible with God and about God, or actually, I think I put it about God and with God. So how can we know that we are um, interpreting things rightly? First, we need to ask, does our interpretation revolve around who God is? Is it consistent with the rest of um, the Bible? We'll get to some of the steps, but I'm just saying kind of at a high level. Second, um, oh, sorry. It's not just, um, when we're talking about reading it about God, I want to be careful to say that we're not just talking about memorizing an idea or mining for information. It is about relationship. It's about learning who God is, this God who is present with us and revealing himself to us. Um, And it's also, because it is about relationship, it's about reading it with God. Like I just said, reading the Bible with God is dangerous stuff. He's the very God of the universe. He can wipe you out in an instant. And yet you are so valuable to him. Sinner even that you are, that the God who created, spoke billions of stars into being also came down to this star and spoke to you in your own language. This is an incredible act of condescension. And it comes with a price. It came not only with a price for him, but also a price for us. We will not get out of this unchanged. We will not get out of this unchanged. So in order for us to interpret faithfully, We need to be sure that we are reading the Bible about God and also with God. Secondly, we read the Bible for ourselves, but never by ourselves. So what I mean by this is two things. Um, When we read the Bible, the spirit helps us to understand the spirit and dwells those of us who love and trust him. Therefore, we have vertical help. But God also put us in a particular place with a particular people for a particular purpose. It is no accident. Therefore, not only is it true that we have vertical help, but we also have horizontal help. We should read in community. So yes, sola scriptura, and we absolutely believe um, that uh, only scripture um, is authoritative in our lives, but you are never free to determine by yourself what the Bible means. For yourself, yes, but by yourself, no. We read with God and with God's people. So that is key number two. Lastly, thirdly, we read the Bible as a book with two authors. We remember that ultimately this book is in our hands because there is a divine author that put it here. And that divine author has purposes that span all of history, including to this modern day and this modern moment, exactly right now, as you listen to this via podcast or YouTube or whatever. And so, and he is intending to speak to you, to me, even now. So there's a divine author that is, that is active and living and incorporating, um, knowledgeable, reaching out even into our current moment. And at the same time that he gave, gave these words to us through the hands of the human authors. And so this can be where, um, 
uh, it can be so helpful to understand by understanding some of the interplay between those two things will help us to better understand the meaning and message of the scripture. Now, when I say two authors, I don't mean literally two authors. So just to be clear, when I, I'm talking about human authors, I'm also including the fact that some of these texts were um, redacted or edited and compiled by different authors. So the Psalms, for example, um, the Psalms were not necessarily all written by the same person, not even necessarily written at the same time. And then at some point in time, they were edited and compiled and arranged by other people. And so um, we believe in the, um, the ins inspiration working through all of those different components to get us the original manuscripts. So where does this leave us? How do we actually do this? We read the Bible about God and with God for ourselves, but not by ourselves. And we read the Bible as a book with two authors. Now, those are great ideas, but I realize that it is a far cry from the mathematical formula that some of us would probably like to have. We, we like bullet points and um, again, formulas. We like nice little um, check boxes to give us some security of certainty. But the truth is interpreting um, any kind of interpreting, but particularly interpreting the Bible is much more like a combination between art and science. Okay. It's not so much a science as it is an art, or at least it's a, it's a both. And so, um, I think about this a lot when I watch one of my favorite TV shows, which is the great British bake off. It is like the warmest hug of a TV show. It's just fantastic. And part of what I love about it is the combination of art and science. And so the art is not only the visual piece of it, which sometimes is truly stunning, but also um, the, uh, the taste, right? But then there's a science to it because baking is no joke. There is a science to this. And so um, that's kind of how I think about interpreting. I want to come up with something that is um, appetizing and um, well-rounded that covers a lot of bases for us to eat that is edible and also good for me and tastes good all at the same time. Not, okay. That example makes it sound like I'm trying to make the word of God palatable, which maybe is not really what I'm trying to say. Um, it can be challenging too, but that's the health part, I guess. Um, so I couldn't figure out exactly how to put that example into a visual for you. Um, but I'll go with my second most comforting thing. So if it's not baking, then, um, it is soup right? I've made a lot of soup lately. Soup, I think is also a really great example of um, interpreting because you have all these different elements that you're bringing together. And if you just have the stock or just have the vegetables kind of all separated out, you know, it just doesn't do all that much for you. It's not the same soup, but when you bring all of these different elements in, then you create something that truly transcends what um, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Is that the right way to say it? I think, I think that's what I'm trying to say. The whole is greater than each of the parts individually. So interpreting is a little bit art and a little bit science. So we are going to um, unpack exactly what some of that science piece of it is. Um, less the art, the art is not as much teachable, I think, but the science piece of it, um, we can unpack and we can detail out a little bit. So um, we are going to go ahead and pause this second lecture here. I am going to go ahead and warn you that this third lecture does have a lot of PowerPoint. So if you're listening on audio, you might want 
um, to have some time where you can also look at the same time. I also um, am heavy on information because I want it to serve as a resource that you can return back to. Um, you can also use the slides if that is helpful. So just wanted to give you a heads up, but this is the conclusion of our second part, challenges to interpreting and major keys. Um, and we'll move on to some of the steps and the how to. So see you in the third lecture.